Welcome to the Givology Impact Series podcast. Givology is a 100% volunteer-run online giving marketplace for education, which connects donors to grassroots projects and student scholarships around the world. In each episode, we share the stories, advice, and inspiration of social entrepreneurs and change makers. My name is John Devansky, and I'll be your host for today's session. We are thrilled to have with us Peggy Bacon from the Tanzanian Children's Fund. Peggy is a director with the Tanzanian Children's Fund and has served with them for over 11 years. The Tanzanian Children's Fund provides a permanent and loving home for over 90 orphaned and vulnerable children in the Karatu region of northern Tanzania. I'd like to welcome Peggy. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, John. Nice to nice to be here and always nice to talk about the Tanzanian Children's Fund. Great. Uh, to start, could you uh, introduce the Tanzanian Children's Fund to the audience for us? Uh, yes, the, the Tanzanian Children's Fund was founded by India Howell um, over 12 years ago, actually. She had, she had worked with a safari business in, in Tanzania for a number of years and decided she wanted to make uh, an impact on the orphan crisis in East Africa, in Tanzania. So she moved with a handful of children into a very rural coffee-growing uh, region in northern Tanzania, and began raising orphaned and vulnerable children that you you just spoke of. By the time I got there in January of 05, the number of children that she was taking care of and raising was up to 16. So uh, I arrived, and what India has done, well, let me back up a bit. She here she is living in the uh, coffee region with these children who, for the most part, whose mothers have died in childbirth. They are orphaned. Um, and the first thing, like all, all of us do, is she thought, well, I need, there are two major things. I need health and I need education. And she looked around, surrounded by coffee fields, surrounded by poverty, uh, the one buck a day club, I call it, people making one, maybe two dollars a day. Uh very, very um, impoverished region. So he looked around. There was a school down the road. She said, well, I'll send my children there. So the children that were old enough at the time, there were four or five of them. This is back in 2005. They trotted down the, the road to the, to the school, which we quickly learned was just terrible. Only 30% of the uh, it was primary school. So only 30% of the seventh graders, which is the last grade, were passing those exams, which would allow them to go on to high school, which would be their ticket out of poverty. So only 30%, if that, were passing. So after a lot of back and forth with the school, um, uh, we signed a contract with the school um, similar to a charter school um, in 2007. By 2011, the school with its 400 students and our small number of orphaned children had uh, was in the, uh, I think 2011, we'd gotten to 100% pass rate. So we'd gone from below 30% to 100% of the graduating class passing, which meant that they now could go to high school. So back up a little bit. So by wanting to improve the school for our own, the orphaned and, and marginalized children, who we call our own, and they are indeed not adoptable, 
They are India and our co-founder and um, managing director, Peter Leon, who is Tanzanian. They are the legal guardians of these children of the orphaned group. So they are in what we call a forever family, similar to, you know, our children, my children. Uh, They're not adoptable. So anyway. Way back to the school. So they, those children go off to the local school, which we have now improved for not only them, but the 400 other children that go to this primary school who come in from all the coffee fields. So now all of these children have an opportunity to go to high school. Uh, let me back up just for a second and, and pick up where the, the, um, health we, we now have a nurse that works with us up in the coffee fields, but we also have a partnership with a American doctor about a half an hour away because the health really has to kick in first before you succeed in school. You have to be healthy or before your family um, is able to work, you have to be healthy. So we, we've been working on that. And once again, we also offer these services to our catchment area of about 8,000 um people all together, all coffee growing, 15 coffee plantations up there. So um, I'm, I'm now going to focus on, I'd forgotten that, that really we were talking about um, sponsorships and scholarships for children. So we pay the, the um, uh, fees for the primary school, which um, is not free in Tanzania, and you do have to have a uniform and shoes and pencil and a notebook, which we as a Tanzanian Children's Fund can afford, but we've also made it available. We are subsidizing the local schools, and we also have scholarships and sponsorships, which is what where I think Giveology comes in. We've had um, our sponsorships start at 150 to 200 for a primary school child. Um, and now our next step, now that we've gotten these kids to pass this primary school exam, well, what's next? Well, the high school is next and the high school was equally terrible. Nobody passing, teachers not showing up. Uh, so, uh, in 2013, we signed a management contract again with that school um, with the, now we're talking about the high school again, working with the uh, community, and again, our kids are part of this greater community. We have one, two, three. We have about, I think it's about six um, scholarships now that just go to the community for high school. And high school is really like college used to be here. It is really their ticket out of this long, dark tunnel. Um, of poverty, generational poverty that is for a hundred years has happened. And finally, we're, we're kind of, we're figuring out the poverty puzzle, which has a lot of pieces to it. Um, as I mentioned, the health, there's an economic factor. And mostly I would say it's the, it's this education, uh, education, education. And even if they don't go on to university, we're also getting kids out into vocational schools um, and, you know, appealing to whatever level they're, but they're going to have jobs. We follow our kids and as many as we can from the community all the way through to employment so that they aren't, 
it's 68 percent unemployment in our region. So they got to get out and find other jobs. And um, so through our scholarships and through our subsidizing the schools and also we have an economic component for the parents for starting businesses. So they now are starting to pay more of their own kids school fees. So the whole community is moving up and we realize, um, I mean, it's kind of obvious to us, but we notice when we come back here that it's not obvious to everybody that it's not a quick fix. It's not build a school and assume that everything inside the school is, is going to be great. Not so. You build a school and we are staying the long run to do the actually harder work of making sure that the teachers show up every day, that they're not hitting the kids, that they're doing the review for the exams. That doesn't happen just because you have a new building or a new a renovated classroom. That is sort of the on the ground, day to day grind going in there and working with the teachers and incentivizing them and helping them and and all that. We are unique in that um, we do have somebody on the ground. Our founder, India Hal, is on the ground there. She knows what happens every day. Um, and so we can go in and make sure that what we want to happen in those schools that we have renovated, but that there's actually teaching and learning going on in there. And it's not just a pretty space. Very, yes, very interesting. And that's something we've we've seen with some of our other organizations is, you know, it, it really is helpful to provide, you know, other services just b- besides education uh, to really put the student or the, or the child first. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't have enough food or they don't have medical care, mm-hmm. you know, it's very difficult to learn. So it's great work that, that you're doing. So, so moving on to... Um, just sort of some of the accountability aspect that you alluded to with having India on the ground. How do you measure impact? How do you define success? Well, we do, I, as I mentioned, you know, measurement and evaluation, and, and um, we're at a point now where we need probably could benefit from some formal measurement and evaluation. However, we do have, I keep mentioning in the schools, these um, all-important tests, and at grade four, Grade seven, they call them standards, standard four, standard seven, and then form one, which is like our um, eighth grade, form two. Anyway, there are these all important national exams. And the national, we have used those national exams to, as a measurement of our of our impact because they're print there. It's a government document and they're on, on the internet. As soon as everybody finds out, Oh, the results are out. We go and look, look online. And there they are with all the students in the, um, in the area. And as I said, that includes, um, what we, who we call our kids, the orphaned, uh, population, which we are now up to 94 that live with us, by the way, started with that handful when I arrived, there were 16. Now there are 94 that are what I call residential. They get mixed in with the community. We look. So one indication of our impact is, as I said before, we went from pretty much the bottom of the region with about 50 schools. Uh, I'm talking about the primary school now. We we shot up to number one, and we're in the top two percent of the country. And we have a couple of kids 
kids, individual students who have scored uh, in the top percentage, and that's public and private schools in the country. And um, a couple of those kids who are now in high school are continuing this um, rock star accomplishment. And to be honest, we're not this is not Exeter. It's just we've insisted that the teachers are in the classroom and that the kids get access to books. And it's it's really quite simple. And um, so looking at the test scores, you can see these test scores and the number of kids passing going up, 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 up to the point where we've been at 100 percent of the graduating class, which is the seventh grade in the primary school um, passing and which opens those doors. So that's one measurement of our impact. Anecdotal, um, I guess you'd call it anecdotal, our, our, our um, microfinance, our economic opportunities. I, for one, having been there for over 10 years, going back and back every year, see, you know, new roofs, more bicycles. Um, uh, people have um, cash, a little teeny tiny bit more cash. So they can buy their kids new pencils, new shoes, a new sweater, fewer kids showing up at school with completely unraveling sweater because they all have to wear these uniforms. And um, parents able to pay their kids uh, school fees, um, flowers in front of houses, which always shows that people feel better about themselves. So. And the income in our area has gone up 350%. Families are these coffee pickers, uh, seasonal employment with over 60% unemployment. Um, so we have been encouraging, particularly the women, but it's not only open to the women, you know, business opportunities. Buy a chicken, open a shop. We're now in including handicrafts so that they can support their own children and they can get the health care they need. Because as India, our founder says, our goal really is to put ourselves out of the, out of business and, and stop, stop the orphans being created by mothers who don't get health care. And that has declined significantly. We also have those statistics um, measuring our impact. We used to get People knocking on our doors 10 years ago because um, we only had we had the only vehicle, you know, emergency, emergency medical. We had to take them down to the hospital. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. And women are getting the message that they need to come in for some, you know, before they have the baby. Um, children are getting health um, classes in school, washing their hands and all that. So we if you take the statistics from the school, from the um, our health screening our people coming to our clinics up at our place at the Rift Valley Children's Village and also the number of people going to the hospital half an hour away it's gone way down or you could also say that it's gone up in some cases which means that people are actually coming the mothers are coming before they get in trouble with the baby so we've got that we've got the, those statistics we have who we've provided scholarships for um, who are out working. Uh, they worked for us and then we've helped them finish their education. So the number of people out is growing every year. And by the way, the number of orphans who are, who are all sponsored ranges now from age one to age 21. <laughs> and those ones up at the higher levels, the, the sort of 16 to 21 year olds are the ones that I knew first 
when I first arrived as little kids. And it's really so wonderful to see them so healthy, so accomplished, moving on with their education. Got a couple going to college. We've got, you know, people headed off saying they want to be doctors, lawyers, accountants, carpenters. So that's another measurement. We have, you know, we have 94 kids who are healthy and moving along in their life and happy and uh, part of a family. And um, um, next, I want to move into maybe some of the challenges you you faced over the years. You know, what advice can we give our other partners from maybe some lessons you've learned? Mm-hmm. Well, I alluded to one of them, and that is that we we learned by being there that it's not a quick fix. By building the school, you have to stay to see what is going on in the school that you've built. Or I have actually talked to several people who, you know, sponsor kids and to go to high school. And I said, you know, that's really great that you're doing that. Have you gone over and met the child or have you set sent somebody over there? Because I hate to say it, but there's, you know, there's scams. There's people who are taking the money and it's not going to the child or it's not going to the family or I just, um, I know Giveology, you're sort of screening a lot of these. Um, it, it's, it's so tempting that when people get any money to not use it, what you're supposed to use it for. And because we have somebody on the ground, we just can guarantee all our donors and I call them investors that that money is going to that child and is going to the healthcare and is going to the scholarship that we gave to the child who scored the highest from the community. Um, just follow the money and make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, and if you're building a building or helping build a building, just make sure that there's actually teachers in there or doctors or whatever doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Another, another thing uh, that I've talked to several groups that are younger than we are or same age um if there's any way you can get somebody on the ground um there are a lot of young people out there um we we actually have four they're between the ages of say 24 and early 30s generally without families that want to do this kind of work and they get a small stipend, they get room and board, and they get a they get a plane fare. But even even if an organization has one person on the ground watching what where the money goes and making sure those students are getting, um, I, I think it's totally worth it. So that would be another piece of advice. So want to move on to the future. So what's next for, for TCF? Are there any goals going forward or future plans? Well, our immediate future plan is we are in the throes of making our local high school. It has about 350 students. There are three primary schools that feed into it. The primary school I described as ours uh, is only one. So our our goal to go back to the high school is is we have received a um, lead grant from a, a foundation to what I call fix up the high school, fix it up literally physically. And it, we're also working with the teachers to make sure that 
they're they're actually there and teaching. So we are in the throes of that. It is not easy. It is a challenge. We our long term goal is to actually create a boarding school. So our long term goal, and I'm talking now the next five years, is we would like to actually build a do- dorms one first for the girls because the girls are. Actually, it is dangerous for the girls to walk back and forth to their houses. A lot of violence, sexual assault, that kind of thing that we hate to think about. Girls' dorm is number one um, probably three, four years down the road, uh, and then a boys' dorm. And we want to be the best school in the region, which we think we can do. We want to remain a community school because we have a long way to go with the community we're, we're, we, as I said, described with my impact, we are making headway, but we want it to remain a community school. We don't want people, and they do this there. Oh, I'm sending, you know, somebody from Dar es Salaam or Arusha. I'm sending my child up to that great school I ha- I've heard about up there. Um, we want it to remain a, a community school so we can actually have an impact on this generational poverty in these coffee growing regions. So, so I would say that is our main goal right now, scholarships, money to just get that high school up to where the kids are graduating from form four, which is really like 11th grade. It's like it's the old British system. It's like the O levels. We really would it would really be akin to graduating from high school here. So we get kids actually graduating from high school, which wasn't happening before. And then they can either go to vocational school, get a job or go on to A levels or university or whatever. Um, that's our immediate goal. And we are slowly, uh, or we are continuing to take what we call emergency cases of, of the orphans down at the Rift Valley Children's Village with, as I said before, we have 94 living with us. Uh, the youngest is one and we, he came as a tiny baby. We have three-year-old twins that came at three weeks old. Um, all of these are mothers dying in childbirth. So we continue to take some in at that level. And eventually, the ones that, that in their 20s will go out and get jobs. <laughs> so uh, that's, you know, and when people ask us about that, I say, well, it's it's like our family's here. You know, um, you, you've got a job, and I hope your your mother's probably very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're in the same position we're we're helping our kids get up and out and hope they come back at christmas um to visit us um so uh, how can how can people find out more about the tanzanian children's fund well our website um is is pretty good right now we keep making it better it's tanzanian children's org without the apostrophe and something I haven't mentioned is we have a wonderful volunteer program. We have about 50 volunteers of all ages. Uh, you have to be 21 to come over on your own, 15 to come over with a parent or somebody older. And you come and live in the houses with the children and help out in lots of different ways. So there's a volunteer program. And there's uh, pictures of all our Rift Valley Children's Village children. You can f- see their pictures see how old they are, what their names are, and help sponsor and find out everything else we do about the schools I just talked about, about our medical program, about 
the um, microfinance. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So I guess that this is wrapping up our episode four of the Gibology Impact Series podcast. Um, once again, I'd like to thank uh, Peggy Bacon for, for joining us today to talk about the Tanzanian Children's Fund. If you'd like to hear more about um, the Tanzanian Children's Fund, just go to tanzanianchildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildrenschildr